Welcome to the One of a Kind podcast, the show where we explore the stories we tell ourselves and the moments that got us here. I'm Nisi Duran, and I hope today's conversation gives you something to smile about. Welcome to the 13th episode of the One of a Kind podcast. Today's guest is Lana Bonner. I met Lana a few years ago, right when she became a mom, and we bonded immediately over the drastic identity change that often comes from bringing a child into the world. Then we bonded over our careers, and most recently over our love of dancing. If you listen to episode four, I shared how Lana got us the VIP treatment at a San Diego nightclub. We showed up at 8.45 p.m. before the place had even opened and talked about our childhood traumas as we waited for the VIP host to arrive to work. It was a classic Saturday mom night. Let me tell you more about Lana. She is a San Diego-based casino gaming veteran and an executive at a data analytics company. In 1998, she came to the U.S. as a war refugee from old Yugoslavia. Her story is unexpectedly and heartbreakingly timely given current events. Her passion for people and her relentless curiosity about the world helped shape her career journey from a 17-year-old casino buffet hostess to an executive today. Now her days are filled with less work and more adventures with her husband, Jason, and two-year-old son, Miles. In this conversation, we discuss the long-lasting impact of war, the deep desire of wanting to belong, and how looking back is both scary and necessary to our own growth. Lana's story deeply moved me, and I'm so grateful she is sharing her story with you. I hope you enjoy our conversation. The reason we even landed in the United States is because of the um, ethnic cleansing that happened during the Bosnian War in the 90s. Actually, it's another story in itself, but it started late 80s into 90s. Um, my mom's side of the family is Muslim, some practicing, mostly not. And then <laughs> my dad and stepdad are Eastern Orthodox. And that's really the influence that I grew up with um, through the war. None of that really like religious division happened until the war. And that's what it was. Mm, okay. um, uh, Tito died, was the communist leader. And then eventually the country started um, dividing into smaller independent countries from Slovenia, Croatia, Serbia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Macedonia, so on and so forth. So I lived through all of that. And it's really tough for me to actually talk about it. It wasn't until I talked with you when it resonated, like, holy moly, I lived through so much. It really was like, it was emotional. And I don't even know why I had talked about it before, but it never really hit me to reflect on it. So perhaps it's because while I lived through that period, yes, there were horrible things that you lived through that you wouldn't wish on anyone, but nothing personally bad happened to me, my family, directly to me. I was fortunate enough to live in a city called Banja Luka, which wasn't directly attacked or bombed. But there was a lot of unrest. Like your neighbors were disappearing throughout the night. Oh my goodness. The fact that my mom was Muslim as Muslim. And the only way that you know is by your name. This is why mm. name is such a big deal for me, like how I identify. Yeah, the only difference between 
identify or knowing that someone is Muslim or Bosnian, Croatian and Catholic, or Serbian, Orthodox is by their name. And even some know. names kind of overlap. So you don't know. So literally people were changing their names so they are not bothered and being kicked out of their homes. Um, people are surviving. Yeah, yeah, you were surviving. I mean, power being cut off for 30, 60 days at a time. Um, no running water, things of that sort. You see people that are coming from villages that are being burned, coming through your town, sleeping on your lawn because they just have nowhere to go. So in that sense, you see a lot as a young child, you don't know how to process. So it was devastating in a lot of ways. And um, the reason the war was actually over by the time we left, it ended 95, 96. Um, But the process to leave legally uh, as a refugee, the country takes a really, really long time. So we landed on the U.S. on the premise of the mixed marriage and how hard it was to survive, really, in a predominantly Serbian or Serb um, city that we were in. Um, St. Louis um, was the place that we ended up going to. It was comfortable in a sense that we ended up in a city with the same climate because it was the only thing that we could relate to that was comforting like i could count on four seasons but everything else was brand new in so many ways so the weather wow i love that the weather was something you could hold on to that's it that was it 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 was actually like i said it was actually comforting that we left from winter in in banaluca to winter in st louis and it's exactly the same so because there's so much to process this is, um, I have a lot of questions, but I wanted to make a comment around the way you explained the impact of the war of, I think you're totally right. Even if you did not personally experience some of the atrocities, right, that were happening, just knowing that they were happening, that it was possible for it to happen, that you didn't know when they were going to end. And to your point, not even being an adult and having to process that and seeing things that are unexpected. That has an impact on on folks, right? And oh, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, what impact do you think it had on you, either immediately or for the long term? I think I'm still working through some of that. I really am. Um, what gives me comfort today, and I think what was kind of foundational in my relationship with my husband when we were first dating is he felt like home. Yeah. And I think what was, well, even pre-war, we moved around a lot, not for bad oh. reasons, which it did. Um, so after that, it was even more because we started from scratch. So mm-hmm. I think feeling safe and feeling at home was the biggest impact because um, I didn't feel that for a really, really long time. Like I was far into my 20s before I felt at home somewhere. Wow. I think there are elements of an imposter syndrome because there are people that I know, there are friends who live through a lot worse things through the war. Mm-hmm. Atrocities that I couldn't even imagine that if you were to, you'd like, you would think of it as it's a movie, but it's somebody's yeah. life. Yeah. Um, 
So I feel like I don't, I don't have the space or room to say anything bad. Yes, my stepdad was on the front lines of the war and gone for months at a time. And oftentimes we didn't even know or hear from him for weeks at a time, whether he's alive, but none of that really, like I haven't processed all of the little things that probably had a big impact on, on my life and how I went about adulting, <laughs> how I deal with trauma, how I don't deal with trauma <laughs> and yeah. just move forward. So, but I think that sense of feeling safe and at home yeah, it's the toughest. I still have a really hard time watching movie wars. I really, regardless oh. of what, like anything that I, that I see on TV, reading of, about in the news, even this morning, Israel getting attacked, like it just hits so deeply because yes. the innocent people who lived through that, have, it, the impact is not just the bomb that fell to the ground today. It's so long term. It's just devastating. So yeah. I'm having a time with that. Yeah, that's really, really hard. At the beginning, when you were talking about coming to St. Louis to the United States, you didn't speak English. I realized that if I, well, first of all, I didn't want to be here. I I was going to ask, were you excited? Were you not? I hated my mom. We fought all the time. I was miserable. I didn't see anything wrong with my life back home. I had all my friends and family. By 15, you're kind of forming yourself already and you have your circle and you have your routine and you have plans for the future. And you're kind of ripped out of universe one into universe two. And it's it's romanticized and glorified living in America. But it's hard. It's hard because standards are different. Everything is different. Language, culture, expectations. And my friend, I was a tomboy. I had purple spiky hair. And <gasps> really? I, oh, yes. Yes. I don't see pictures. <laughs> girls here were into Friday Night Lights. Even in oh my goodness. high school that I went to, into <laughs> Friday Night Lights, wearing makeup, brushing their hair. Not this girl. So the first school that I went to was um, a magnet school in St. Louis, sold at International. And um, it was uh, actually just like you would see in a movie. Um, metal detectors to get in, <laughs> inner city school. Oh, yeah. Oh. Fighting. So you had a gang of Bosnians and Somali and Vietnamese. And oh, yeah. So it was not a great experience. It really wasn't. I It was full of Bosnians. So everyone's speaking your language. I'm like... How am I ever gonna live the life if I'm surrounded by the things that I already knew and my parents got us out of that and maybe was helpful for others, but not for me. So we had we spent a semester at that school. So within eight months, my mom was like, okay, this is this is not why we're here. So I I'm really proud of her for making a move. Um so we moved to this apartment, the five of us, um, my youngest brother starts school. Again, mm-hmm. nobody speaks English. She's four years old. Mm-hmm. Vanya and I are juniors and um, sophomore. You were a junior in high school. Yeah. OMG. Mm-hmm. OMG. When we moved to the second school at yes. this point in the first year. And this school, the re- we had a choice between same district same area, just a little bit further down, but they had ESL, English as second mm. language classes. This one did not. And I was like, I want to go to this school. There was another, one other girl from Bosnia and that was it. 
And I was like, I want this school. And I want it because I think it will help me just adapt a little bit better, quicker, so on and so forth. I mean, it did and it didn't. Um, mm, I was lucky okay. enough that there were three or four girls that were brand new to the school too at that same time. So we were coming in as juniors with kids that grew up in the same district together. Their whole lives. Mm-hmm. So it was hard, but I did it. I took AP Bio, Ecology, Shakespeare. I would finish high school in two and a half years. Lana. Start to finish. <gasps> I don't wow. know how. I will tell you, um, I had a really good friend. He's I consider him a really good friend today. Like one of the requirements was to have two years of foreign language. English is a foreign language to me. I was learning definitely. That. I would have never gotten my French credits had my friend Nick Poji not helped me. Um, wow. he's really good at French. I mean, I I missed half of the classes. He helped me out with my homework so I could have my credits. I don't think he even knows to this day what that meant for me, but I wow. did it. Um, an interesting tidbit today, as I think about, you know, Miles is too, it'll be blink of an eye. And we'll have to start thinking about what his college's, you know, options are going to look like and how we prep him for it. No, like my parents didn't know. I didn't know. I never got senior photos done. Like one, it costs money. Yes. Two was like, I don't, there's a lot to keep up with as someone brand new in the country. Like she, there's too much. Three kids in three different, you know, schools and all sorts of stuff. So, and trying to figure out their own life themselves, like work and getting a vehicle and so on and so forth. So I don't blame them for it, but it made it difficult for me. So I didn't go to college. Instead, I realized that I didn't want to be different. Like we wore the same shirts all the time, clothes, because everything was an expense. Like I need to work. Mm. Um, I need, we had to have a car and my parents couldn't afford paying for a vehicle and our insurance and all of that. So I was like, okay, I'm old enough. I talked my parents into it. They were like, okay, you can, you can work so long as it's not interfering with your schooling. I'm like, okay, what do you know? Like, <laughs> parents know nothing. They know nothing about life. <laughs> so I applied for a job at a casino that was in Maryland Heights in the same area, 10 minutes away and apply for a job. And I get my, I get the front desk clerk position. It's a of course suit. you did. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So at that point, I'm like, you know. And you're still in school. I, I graduated high school. At that point, you graduated high school. I graduated. Okay. I was the youngest in my class. I was 17. Oh my goodness. I graduated high school and I'm like, I move it out. My wow. parents, think about, we're in the country, not even full two years. And I'm like, Lana. Bye. Peace out. (laughs) So I move out with a friend and live with a roommate for a year. It was hard. I didn't see it as hard, but I was working all sorts of shifts because what really kind of prompted me to get out on my own was I got promoted within the first six months. I was a lead and then I became a supervisor. So by 19, I am hot shit in my own. Yeah, I love it. I can do my own thing. And it was not, I was still very close to my parents. Like that, that never changed, but I felt like I could do this on my own. And I had some sort of control. Like I was looking for control of my destiny. Like I didn't want to be here, but if I'm going to be here, this is how I'm going to do it. 
The benefit that I had was that I didn't look any different than most white Americans. My oh, yes. my only difference was my language. So I worked really hard. And actually, before I graduated high school, I lost the accent completely. Like I learned English never proper grammar. Like that was not a thing. I think I learned most of my language skills. I won't even call it English, but most of my language skills, just listening to people, watching TV, certainly reading was a thing back then, but it was really just listening to people and putting words into context rather than learning proper, (laughs) proper language and grammar. Um, So sometimes to this day, I'll even talk to Jason and be like, did I say that? Does this sound right? Because I actually don't know if it's right or not. I just know what it sounds like. And I went through college and got my master's and I have been in professional world for so long, but my foundation of English language was such that it was not literally learning how to form sentences and properly write things. Two questions about that. One, that's super impressive, right? I've been wanting to say that, that you're very impressive. But you, one of the things that struck me, you said that you had the choice between a school that had ESL and a school that didn't. Yes. And you chose the one that didn't. Yes. Let me tell you about my dad and then I have a question for you. So when I was in kindergarten, I didn't speak English, you know, five years old, mm-hmm. kindergarten, five years old. And they, it was public school. And the principal, I think, decided that I was going to be in ESL classes, even though my parents had opted out of that. And if I'm remembering correctly, well, the, the, the way that it would go down is they would put me in the ESL class. I'd come home. I'd tell my parents. They would go to the school and say, can you please put her back to the non-ESL? I'd go to the non-ESL. I probably was struggling. The teacher probably had to spend more time with me. So they pulled me again and put me back in ESL. I don't know how many times this happened until finally my dad took a day off of work and he was working multiple jobs trying to, you know, make ends meet. And he came and talked to the school and he said, I don't want my daughter in ESL. And they told him Mm -hmm. she's struggling and we have this resource. And he said, okay, hypothetically, imagine a little boy from China comes to your school. What what class are you going to put him in? They said, well, the the non-ESL. He says, why is that? And they're like, oh, because the ESL is for Spanish speakers. He says, okay. Pretend my daughter is a little boy from China and leave her yeah. where I want her. And they were they were taken aback. You know, my dad is a very friendly guy, but when he wants to be stern, he can be. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason he did that was because we had family, friends, and extended family that, for whatever reason, ESL at the time sort of quote held them back. Mm-hmm. It took them longer to learn English, and then by the time they got to middle school. I didn't go to very, I went to public schools and they weren't very highly rated. Uh, my middle school was very violent. There were, you know, kids mm-hmm. stabbing each other and it was quote unquote, yeah. this race against that race, right? Like the Latinos yes. against the Asians and the Asians against the blacks. And then they, another week it would change. And a lot of times the Latinos were only in those ESL classes. And so in his mind, he just said, if we're segregating you now, that segregation is going to continue and I don't like where it ends up. So, you know, it was interesting, but he was an adult, Lana. Like my dad was an adult. How did you, (laughs) after everything you went through and having to learn so much, how did you realize that? Or, you know, what was your decision-making process there? Because that feels so mature and impressive, especially at that age. 
I don't know that I can answer that. I don't know what it was other than I did not want to be different. I just Uh... didn't want... I wanted the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. I wanted to belong. I wanted to be a part of it. And I could see what it looked like for kids that were in ESL. When everyone went to regular classes, you had to go to ESL. I didn't want that. I don't mm-hmm. know that it was all because of the way that I was learning and and sitting in the classroom being taught English and proper grammar was just not doing it for me. I wanted to be done. I wanted to graduate Mm. at the same time that my class was. I wanted to move on. I want to be a part of the life that people my age were living. So I don't know that I really... That was the the only thing that I can think back and kind of connect... Um, I just didn't want to be different, which is why I didn't want to have an accent. I didn't want to be mocked. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to walk into a room and somebody not think I'm good enough or worthy of being at the table because I didn't speak the language. That's really powerful. Belonging. You mentioned mocked. Were you mocked at any point? I hope not. I I hope that everyone welcomed you with big arms. (laughs) I was. Oh, I rather got into uh, mocked for your clothes, for the way that you look. Like I said, purple spiky hair is not a cool look at back then. It wasn't like girls were in tight jeans, crop tops, makeup on. At totally. 50, which is terrifying to me to think about. Like to this day, <laughs> I, I never put makeup on until I was in my senior year of high school when a girlfriend was like, all right, we're going to go to prom, but you're getting dressed up, get my nails done, all of the above. It was just not, I didn't, I didn't feel like that, that was me. I didn't feel right about it. Not, it's not a, a judgment on anyone that does. I didn't totally. felt like I was much more of a child, even though coming from a war-ridden country than kids my age. So I always walk that fine line between being a kid to jump in straight into adulthood because once I moved out, that's what happened. So I know I was mocked. I don't, it was hard then even people who were friends and they're friends today. I don't think they knew the impact that would have on me when I mispronounced a word. It was actually another thing that, that helped me with Jason was that I could ask him if so, like what a word meant, or if I said something wrong, he has a way of correcting it in a way that's not that's loving. I find it defensive. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna be forty years old <laughs> in a month and a half, so or in two months. Anyway, so yeah, I was mocked. Yeah, it was hard. Even when it was coming from friends, that was probably harder because I felt like that was a safe place and space, and it wasn't. I I just. Kids don't think that way. So no. I didn't take it as in malicious, but no, it was hard. It was hard. It still hurts. If it makes you feel any better, Lana, I am a big reader and there are words to this day that I read and I don't realize I'm pronouncing them wrong. So I'll tell you. <laughs> so like, <laughs> See what I mean? English makes no sense. <laughs> um, A-L-B-E-I-T. I thought it was all bait. And it's like up until a couple months ago. And I was watching, it must have been Bridgerton. And they said, albeit. And I said, what? <laughs> and I told you, it was like, 
wait, is this the word A-L-B-E-I-T? He's like, yes. I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, thank yeah. goodness I never said it, said it in real life out loud because in my head, it's always all bait, all bait. Yes. <laughs> English is a hard language. It English is, is a, a hard, hard language. language. It really is a hard language. It's such a hard language. The other thing I wanted to uh, call out um, right now, you talked a lot about wanting to belong and not be different. But then at the same time, you also were very different because you graduated really quickly and then you were looking for your independence. So yeah. how do you, what do you think about that? The contrast there? Well, that's that was my way of finding independence, right? Um, I think through through those first probably three years, four years of us being in the country, we helped our parents a lot do many adult things like a fill out applications, call cable companies to argue. The worst. The worst. It is the worst. (laughs) So I think I had already felt like I was ahead a little bit and had experienced a lot more of adulting than I wanted to really. I think that was the struggle that I had with my parents is I presented them for that. But that's also what gave me the foundation to step into the adulthood. And I think that's what helped me progress in my career, right? I always, once I, once I got promoted to a supervisor role, I was already hanging out with people 10 years older than me, um, living the life that was not the life that my high school friends were living, always staying in touch. So I went about my professional career very differently than most people did. Like I didn't have the privilege of many, not all, of going to college and or having support of someone to guide you in that or even set expectations. Like people complain how their parents expect him to go to certain college. I'm like, I wish my parents had that. And yeah. they did. My mother yelled at me. We fought about it, but I'm like, can't do anything to me. Can't make me. And also you can't even help me. So I'll go when I'm ready. And I did actually went with a girlfriend who was signing up for her master's as support for her to Lindenwood University. And I was like, she goes, you should just do it. I'm like, she's like, if I can do my master's, you can just, just go to college. Like we're working. If I can, I was like, let's do it. this girlfriend. And I signed up and I did, and I did it. I did it all. I went straight through. So I worked and I, I was lucky enough that I was at a company one that supported that, um, required it, required a degree if, and, and your master's if you wanted to move up. And um, it was flexible. I worked at a casino in a player development department. So you're taking care of your VIPs. It's a glorious kind of a life, <laughs> 24-7. It's what you see on the movies and hear about. You're taking care of your top spenders and the way you do it is entertainment like your job is to entertain these people and you know what that equals to going to really cool events all the time Uh, but I was living my life for other people in that sense Mm -hmm. and that's the dark side of that business is that you have very little time for yourself so while I spent all of my time going to school um, and then working I mean that leaves that's baggage you don't when I ended up quitting after 12 years. So wow. I did really well for myself um, in those 12 years that I worked for Caesars Entertainment. Um, I learned so, so much. Oh my God, it really did shape me to a leader that I am today. 
I interviewed my brother and he reminded me that he worked at casinos his entire time that he was trying to get his associate degree before he transferred to a four-year. And he also had worked there years before after he graduated high school. And he had a really good experiences there. Yeah. This is a, maybe this is a, what is it called? Like a PSA for look at the casino yes. jobs. Yes. They I invested in him. He he learned from so many people. It was a very much a supportive environment. They yes. wanted him to go to school and yes. figured it out for him. So that's really great to hear that there are employers out there that want you to grow. Absolutely. Uh, it was the best style. Like I said, the best and the, <laughs> and the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And it's then, intense. You know it's intense. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do right now? Sure. Um, so the official title is chief experience officer. Really, it's I'm one of two executives, um, a company of 50 people, just shy of 50 people. We um design and sell software that helps casinos. Yes. 22 years in the casino industry, just a different segment, oh. um, optimize their operations. So anything from their slot floor optimization um, to their marketing campaign management and analysis and solutions for player development, um, which is where I kind of grew up in, in the casino industry was marketing, player development and hotel ops. I'm responsible for the teams that are from sales support all the way to delivery and technical support um, and some executive um, responsibilities as well. But I love it. I wouldn't change a thing in seven years. So I, like I said, I take commitment seriously. And I kind of I was gonna say. find a way to find the learning and um, gain experiences, even when it's tough. So yeah, I like to stay places, see him grow. Why do you think that is? Oh gosh, I'm always looking for some sort of stability, right? Like permanence, belonging, feeling at home. And I feel very at home right now at his explorer. Yeah. And valued. And valued. Yeah. It's it's the people though. It really is the people and people are culture. So yeah. Yeah. It's it's what's been the theme of my life, but I don't think that's very different than, than others. I think that's what we're all looking for. And <laughs> I, I mentioned the imposter syndrome. It's a daily, right? And it's for different reasons. So before it was, oh gosh, I didn't live through the bloodshed of the war. So really I have no room and shouldn't speak on it because that was, mine wasn't as hard. Um, coming to a different country, you know, millions of kids from that same place went through the same experience. Who am I to talk or mention my experience? I'm not the only one. Becoming a mom was a big shift for me. You know, I became an executive two weeks before I went on maternity leave. Like my CEO looked at me and thought like, oh, pregnant, giving a baby in two weeks, no big deal. I still can't imagine doing this without you. What do you think? Um, yet still in all of that, I was like, oh, he doesn't, I'm not good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is this really shouldn't be happening to me or for me? And then having miles and gosh, feeling, it was a really, really hard struggle and a thing to balance. And I think it's it's a work in progress of, 
how much of myself I give to work versus be present for my family and how much vacation you take and how engaged you are throughout the day and what's what's important versus not. So in that, that changed how I felt about myself, my position, my role in general. So again, imposter syndrome just creeps around. And I think everyone has that sense. People just don't talk about it enough. Ever, I agree. I think so many of us, and I'll speak for myself, I definitely have it. I mean, I think when we, when you first telling me your story, we were standing outside the Onyx Club. Oh, yes, we were. <laughs> Can we just mention that we arrived at quarter till nine? The club doesn't even open their doors until nine. And I'm texting our VIP host, we're here. I know it's early, but we're here too much. And we're having these like deep conversations as we're waiting to go into the club. But I mean, I was so impressed then and I'm so impressed now. And hearing you call out, each step along the way where you did something that was extremely impressive, but you downplay it for yourself, right? Yeah. Do you, and then you also mentioned that your defense mechanism is don't look past, look forward. Is that still how you are operating or has that changed maybe even since you've had Miles, your son? I try not to operate that way. It's what's natural to me. That's my initial feeling and a gut response. But I've been working really hard on not doing that because um, I have to learn. Like, again, I mentioned this earlier in our conversation. You have to be so present in your life when you're around your kid because yeah. they're watching you and learning from you. So I try to be much more self-aware than I used to be. It was easy to get past trauma and just say, well, I've moved on. Like I'm past it and not deal with it. But all of that in itself, there's still baggage right behind me that I'm bringing into this life with a beautiful family that I have. And I have to remind myself all the times, like, it's not scary to look back. And how can I be a better present parent for miles or in my marriage, if I don't deal with all of those things that I have dragged behind, because they are dragging behind. And it's fear. It's fear of Perhaps getting a mirror pulled up to your own self to say, you could have done better. It's not even pointing a finger and or identifying someone doing something to you or environmental factor out of your control, but it's a mirror in your face. And it's easy to just be like, in the past, what's the big deal? I'm here. I'm looking forward. And that's, I don't think that's healthy. I know that's not healthy. So I try, I try really hard. I really do on a daily not to do that and just sit in with it, with all of those feelings when I did do something wrong, I could have done better. And it's small. It could be simple as I read an email and I took it the wrong way and I perhaps reacted to it. Or it could be that I had processed in my head that Jason didn't follow and I reacted in a way that's just not necessary, right? Like, accepting that there are consequences to your actions in every small and big way and being okay with it, that uncomfortable feeling, say, I can do better and I will next time. But if I just move forward, then I'm not getting better. I'm just doing the same thing. That was so powerful. <laughs> I want to <laughs> stop recording right now and listen to it like right now, like right now. I mean, because yeah, what you said is totally right. Yeah, I I never thought about it that way, right? Of looking back is scary sometimes. 
Yeah. I'm goosebumps right now. But even in the, you gave a couple of examples, right? Immediately, like you have an interaction with someone, it doesn't go the way you want. And so we just want to go past it. And maybe I say quick, I'm sorry, but it's because I don't want to talk about it. I just want to push past it. Or the other example you said too, was something that happened years and years and years ago. (laughs) Both things can be scary to different degrees. And that's why we do what we do and just put our head down. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I know. This is why I love your podcast. And Thank I have you. to say, um, you you have this unspoken confidence that you may not even recognize. It's this ease about you. It really is. I told you I've never, I've talked about my past, but it's a very chronological order like yeah went through this but not no emotion attached to it and I don't know that I had any emotion attached to when you asked me about hey how did you arrive to who you are today because that was a question tell me your story and when I did it did it evoked an emotion in you but it also evoked an emotion in me to connect with my past and think through all of it but you do like you are one of a kind because you have this confidence that I don't know why you don't see you are a boss. Like you walk in and I'm like, that's, it's true. So I love that you're doing this. I love that you're bringing other stories um, to the world to hear about, because I think there are a lot of people who are very unique in the way that they process things live through things and um, sharing their stories helps just hearing that it don't forget that you are too honestly thank you thank you I genuinely don't feel that way but I appreciate you saying that but I do see it in other people right so I think yeah. It it didn't your story didn't evoke something in me and it, it's it's doing it again right now and it's very genuine it's a genuine feeling for me of I can't believe I get to know you and learn from you and talk to you, right? And you're reflecting that back to me. So I I need to learn to accept that (laughs) (laughs) because I see it in other people, right? Like I clearly have that same feeling towards you and I appreciate you saying that. And I, this has been a lot of work, like so (laughs) much work. (laughs) I can't believe how much work it is, but I love it so much. And I love re-listening to all the episodes because even when I was, deciding whether to proceed with, um, I told you, you know, a a job Mm -hmm. opportunity. I listened to my cousin Brian's podcast episode and I said, actually, that's not the right decision for me. Right. So I think, I hope people will learn from all of you. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. (laughs) Thank you for seeing me. I feel so very seen and heard in our relationships. So thank you. Thanks for trusting me with your story too. Yes. I love you. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the one of a kind podcast. This show is edited by my brother from the very same mother, Jose Duran. We have more episodes on the way. So please check us out wherever you get your podcasts.